Welcome back, everyone, to MX Asian American. Today we have Leo. Do you want to introduce yourself first? Hi, everyone. My name is Leo Xia. I'm a singer-songwriter, recording artist, um, rapper, and yeah, I'm excited excited to be here. Um, it's an honor to be here, and yeah, grateful to connect with people during this time, especially. <laughs> yeah, especially this time. Um, today, I want to talk a little bit about your career. Um, so. Let's start from the beginning. Um, where'd you grow sure. up and what influenced you or inspired you to pursue music? Yeah, so I, I was born up in the Bay Area, but when I was six, my family, we, we moved back to China. So for most of my life, from when I was six to 18, I actually grew up in Beijing. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, Asian American has always been an interesting uh, mm -hmm. label for me. I didn't even, get to think about that really until I came, you know, back to the States and uh, attended USC and got into the Asian American scene a lot, a lot there. Um, but music wise, you know, middle school, I, I, I always played keys for other, for other singers. Cause looking back, there definitely was this feeling of like, Oh, boys, boys don't sing. That's not uh, a thing uh -huh. that boys, boys <laughs> do. Um, maybe in a gendered, gendered way, kind of looking back, but, I remember that definitely being present. And then I had a friend who was super into singing and he, he was like the first person to me where I was like, whoa, it is okay for guys to sing. Mm. Um, that's actually something that's, that's amazing that, you know, can be, can be celebrated. Um, so I joined choir with him because he inspired me like a, an eighth grade boys choir. And that's where I got uh, started singing. And that's when I started writing songs as well. The first song I wrote was for my first girlfriend. Oh, um, that's so time. cute. Yeah, yeah. Played it at the middle school dance. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, it's like definitely some cringe mixed in there. But <laughs> I'm, I'm happy that that's you know, where, I, where I started. And pretty much all my singing in high school was, was in college. I was in, was in a choir. Mm. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of choir for me in, in high school. Wow. Um... I didn't know that you lived most of your like young teenage life in China. How how was that kind of like different from how did you like transition back into college, like back into American life? Did you notice like a lot of differences or no? Yeah, the the big thing for me was because I went to an inter international school mm -hmm. out, out in Beijing. So actually for most of my life I was like, I'm super American. You know, I'm not mm. like, I'm not like the locals, you know, like, you know, I can't, I can't speak Chinese or I can't speak Chinese as well as, you know, my cousins can, uh -huh. the ones who were born and raised in, in Beijing. Um, so I always felt like, okay, when I graduate high school, I'm actually going to go back to the States mm. and I'm finally, I'm finally going to belong. <laughs> America is, is, is this great, peaceful land where all people of different backgrounds just get along uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, like the shared identity of being american is like what what brings us together you thought I'm so excited <laughs> yeah i was so excited for that um and yeah to a degree i have experienced i have experienced like really beautiful ways that people come together um but a really distinct experience for me because i was it, was it was like so weird during orientation week for me because sometimes i'd ask or people would ask me oh where are you from and then i'd say oh i'm from i'm from the bay area and then they'd be like, oh, like, what high school did you go to and everything? Uh -huh. like, I'm an imposter. I left when I was six. 
Um, but then on the flip side, saying like, oh, like I actually I actually grew up in China for most of my life. Um, then the question being like, oh, like your English is really good. Like, where does that, <laughs> yep. where does that come from? Um, and I was like, oh, international school. I think now it's kind of a more understood concept, like people that go to international schools. But I just remember when I started college, it was like, this is this is a really strange phenomenon. Um, I felt like a weird phenomenon that people were witnessing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people, I, I told people I was like mostly from China. And I remember um, we had this, we had this uh, elevator where you had to swipe your card to activate. And because a lot of the hotels in Asia, they're more like, you don't need to like actually swipe it. You can just like kind of tap it uh-huh. against, against like the, yeah, to activate it, to open the door. Um, so I kept trying to do that on the <laughs> elevator and it wasn't working. And it was like a freshman dorm. So there's like a bunch of people, there's maybe like 15, 20 people just waiting for the elevator. And I was struggling. And then um, a, su- a sweet mate of mine, I remember him distinctly being like, like looking at everyone, like uh, waiting is like, oh, don't worry. He's like, he's not from here. And that, oh my and God. That really, and that really hurt. I think on a deeper level, cause I was like, oh, but, but I'm American. Like we're, we're American. Like what's the, you know, what's, what's the hangout? What's the hangout? What's the, this like, you know, exclusionary sense of like, you know, being excluded. Um, yeah, but I definitely, that was, I keep telling that story to kind of illustrate like what I, expected or had wanted versus like kind of what 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 greeted me Mm. Um, even and even I remember when I first started getting to the Asian American community I remember feeling like whoa like you know these people like grew up in the the states it's just like a wildly different experience for me Uh but even it it took me a really long time to even claim like I am Asian American because even though I was born in in the states um I lived in Beijing for most of my life around you know, in a country where it's just like, I was used to seeing all Chinese people all the mm-hmm. time. And I remember when I came, went to Boston the summer after I graduated high school for the first time, I was like, whoa, I've never seen so many white people. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you think Boston <laughs> is one. white? Oh my God. <laughs> I, I, I hear that Portland is apparently the whitest city, but I don't know. Oh my like, God. How do you measure, how do you measure how, how white a city is? Um... <laughs> I just want to say my school is pretty white um, and where I go to school. Um, Yeah. Anyways. um, Yeah. I I think your added layer of like, where are you from? Quote unquote is makes your identity so much more nuanced um, than people can understand maybe and even explain it sometimes. Um, And I feel like even though we're, getting more towards like being more inclusive and stuff we still need to keep in mind of people's identities and backgrounds and etc etc and that must have been really hard as a transition and what your sweet may said hurt hurts <laughs> yeah and i i think how i've kind of reframed it recently now is like you know taking charge and, and being open and vulnerable with people like hey this is a part of my life mm-hmm. i think it's something i kind of hid for a while because mm. i don't know maybe there's some sort of shame that i i kind of attached to it mm-hmm. um but even like even some like people that were asian american like that i met at usc that had known me for years in college you know like we'd sit down for a conversation and i just bring up something about beijing they're like Oh, I thought you totally grew up in California. You know, you like you totally have that vibe. vibe. Or or <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's 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 interesting. It's um, uh-huh. 
to me, it's like, I see it as like kind of a meeting in the middle. Like mm-hmm. I have, I have to be willing to like share that um, part of me other, otherwise, mm. how can I expect people to just, <laughs> to just yeah. know me? Yeah, definitely. Oh. Uh-huh. So um, you said that you started singing in middle school and choir and continued in high school. Mm-hmm. Did you still continue to pursue that in um, college too? Yeah. So I was debating going to college for, for music for a little bit, but I just ended up not, not choosing that path. Um, even at the start of college, I wasn't sure what role music was going to take. Um, Cause I think after writing like love songs for four years in high school, <laughs> I got like, man, is this all there is you know, to like what I can write about? And actually was at USC where I, um, I was part of this program called Circle at USC. And it was kind of like an Asian American crash course. I'd say like it was an extracurricular thing, but like for seven weeks, it's like you had weekly sessions with TAs. You talk about different aspects of Asian American identity and different intersections of it, like gender, poli- you know, politics, sexuality. Um, wow, that's yeah. so cool. I want to take it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's great. And I, I love calling it a crash course because for me, it really was a crash course. I didn't know anything at that point about what it meant to be Asian American. Mm. Um, that there were other people that even if they didn't have the exact same experience as me, that they also understood what it felt like to tread between two cultures, uh-huh. even if they weren't Chinese, um, like, like myself. And that was super like, whoa, um, especially Asian American history. That was huge for me. Just like, whoa, you know, the brain drain or like, you know, the U.S. wanting like professional talent from around the world to come in. That's why they gave a lot of these visas. That's how my parents came to the, to the States. Um, and that's, you know, like highly educated East, East Asian, East Asian people. Um, and that's why I grew up with this expectation of them, like, oh, like you got to do well in school. And I think understanding the historical context of it was like, whoa, I don't exist in a vacuum. Yeah. Like these, these expectations, like they came, you know, they came sociopolitically mm-hmm. in, in some way. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not crazy for thinking like, wow, this feels weird and I, 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 don't, I don't like it. So it helped kind of ground me um, a lot. So it was actually during this time that I started writing a lot about like songs about Asian American history. Um, for example, I wrote a song about the, the Chinese massacre in 1872. Um, yeah, in LA, stuff like that, or just songs about what it means to be, exist between two cultures. And that was mm. like a super gratifying period artistically because it was like, wow, this is something I'm learning. This is something I'm exciting. I'm excited about and kind of, I like instantly transferred that into like, whoa, this is a new way of seeing music, seeing mm. writing, writing music. So, and yeah, through that meeting a lot of really dope artists in mm. LA and getting connected to the larger Asian American artistic community uh, was, was like, wow, like really amazing. Like people have been writing about this topic of like Asian American identity, like since, the civil rights movement mm. if, if not if not earlier so that sense of like oh whoa like i'm not i'm actually i'm actually not the first one yeah and that, that, that feeling yeah. Was, was really cool i don't know if you've heard of this singer-songwriter called uh, chris chris ajima nope but he was a part of a duo called the yellow the yellow pearl oh i've heard of yellow pearl yellow, yellow pearl yeah so it's him and uh nobuko um so they there were two singer-songwriters. They ended up like touring the country, being on the John Lennon show. And they, they wrote about, you know, Chinese railroad workers. They wrote about like very political Asian-American matters. So 
I've had a friend send me a documentary about Chris Ajima when I first started writing about this stuff. Wow. It was was like a surreal feeling. It felt like, yeah, seeing a past life. Yeah, I definitely have to go check them out. It's really cool to know that history. Yeah, I definitely have to go check them out now. (laughs) Yeah, super, super dope. Yeah, I think that's so beautiful that you got into or re-got into writing songs um, through Mm -hmm. discovering your identity. And I think it also feels like a um, helps validate your sense of belonging also because you realize there are so many other people who are doing similar things to you who came before you. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask if your parents had any <laughs> opinions on you pursuing music um, and the like. Yeah, I will, say, I will say that my parents have been really supportive. I've been really supportive. Um, I think the, I don't know, I mean, you hear all these crazy stories about yeah. know, parents totally flipping out and stuff. My parents definitely weren't that, um, but there's definitely a little bit of resistance at the start. Like, oh, like, you know, like, is this something you want to do? Like, would you like to consider something like more realistic in terms of like, in terms of career? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe, maybe I'm just going to speak for Chinese parents, but I, I think like they just want to see results. Right. They just want uh-huh, to like, yeah. uh, I remember the too. turning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like I um are you are you Chinese by the way? Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And um yeah, the turning point for me was uh when I got scouted by someone like a casting director for mm-hmm. the voice China for the voice China. Oh dang. Um, That's yeah, a big so that was, deal. That was cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that didn't end up like, you know, materializing into anything, but I remember like sharing that with my parents and you know that they just blew up yep. their WeChat with yeah. it. They told all their friends, <laughs> like, yeah, the son's out here. He's doing it. Um, so it, it's, it's just funny because it's like not something that I was even pursuing actively. Uh-huh. Um, to me, it's like, you know, I have other things that I'm really proud of, of like what, from what I've created, like my album, you know, music video for, for Slice, for Slice Fruit. But it's like these, these like little, you know, shiny uh, moments yep. that I think, um, I mean, people in general, but, you know, my, my parents, like, latch on to, latch on to as, as well. And I felt like that was a turning point for them to be like, okay, like, yeah, he definitely has legitimate, legitimate talent uh, that, that the world recognizes in, in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, definitely, they're, they're very, very supportive. Um, anything I come out with anything, they'll, they'll blast the WeChat. Oh, that's so <laughs> cute. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, yeah, my mom's on, like, WeChat, like, all day. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, but I think also in part they want to see, I think at least for my parents too, they want to see things that are tangible for them yeah. and like um, kind of prove, quote unquote, to their relatives and like their friends that, you know, their their children are doing well for themselves. I'm, um, I'm pursuing an English major um, and want awesome. to be a poet. Cool. <laughs> and spoken my parents, word or, huh? Spoken word or or, or written no, or um, what aspect of poetry? Not spoken word, uh, just okay. on the page. <laughs> cool. And my parents, um, they don't they don't say anything about it like explicitly, but I know mm-hmm. like they want me to do something more pragmatic, mm-hmm. which like logically I know as well <laughs> that English majors don't make much. Um, but we'll see how it goes. 
Anyways, um, so you mentioned your uh, song Sliced Fruit and your music video. I really enjoyed it. And thank you, thank you. I think Glad you lot, enjoyed it. A lot of Asians will uh, relate. Um, how did you come up with inspiration for that song? Um, it was um, it was before writing my second album. Um, my second album was about when my grandma passed. And she was the one that taught me Chinese growing up. So that was, mm. it was a whole album about, like, I mean, just the universal theme was like grief, mm-hmm. um, but with an Asian or Chinese American tinge to it, just because that was that was my experience. Um, but I think at the time when I wrote it, I was definitely in that mode of thinking about like, hmm, like what aspects of the Asian American experience are just do, do like non-Asian people just not know about? <laughs> That are that are really be- that are really beautiful mm-hmm. um, to me, and sliced fruit was always like a big thing in, in my life. You know, with my mom, you know, just doing homework or whatever, and just, mm-hmm. like a bowl of sliced fruit just yeah. appears, um, and then she's like just gone around the corner real quick. And I mean, even thinking now, it's like wow, she must have. I I don't know. I'm trying to think about the the scale or the number of like the amount of fruit that she's cut yeah. for me in in my life. I was actually just home. Um, this this past weekend, and I've gone into the habit of actually cutting fruit for my parents um, now. So it's it's been a it's been a full cycle thing. But yeah, I, um, I think when I first started writing about Asian American things, I was I was afraid like, oh, is this too Asian American? You know, are people not gonna understand it? Um, like, what's the? Am I limiting myself? Am I uh-huh. pigeonholing myself? Um, I got to I got to perform at a TEDx event at USC Woo. my my senior year. I got to perform a song that was basically it was like me talking to my future child about like oh like you know when you grow up you may feel different in this in this way but I want you to know that it's natural it's okay I'm here I'm here for you and um, I was always afraid that that song was too Asian American and I think you know in college performing for all these Asian American events. I was so used to like, okay, it's just a bunch of Asian people listening to this. But uh, stepping into the TEDx event, it was like, whoa, this is a really diverse audience. Mm-hmm. Um, can it still hold weight? Can it still can it still resonate as a as a story? And I found that it did. You know, people coming up to me after was being like, hey, you know, I'm not Asian, but I'm also an immigrant, and I can also understand like, you know, coming to this country with a dream, wanting to do better for your family, wanting to create a safe space for your family like it resonated in that way it resonated as a, as a parent so I was trying to see all these like even though yeah of course the core is Asian American but there's these different axes that other people can can relate to um, mm. and I thought out for slice slice fruit as well um, and 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 seeing that because I think for a while I was insecure like oh my art doesn't matter unless I write it to specifically to be Asian American and now I've been able to kind of shift like the Asian American aspect is always going to be a part of it mm. because I, I am Asian American but then as an artist to focus on what's the underlying theme of it and for sliced fruit it's, it's love it's parental love it's the sacrifice it's yeah the unconditional love of, of a parent and like mm. tapping how to use my music to tap in on a deeper human level first before the Asian American aspect um, mm. comes in so yeah that's kind of been like a back and forth as I think about what I write and create a lot for sure 
Yeah, that's so similar to me, actually, um, when I write cool. poems. Um, sometimes I struggle to, like, I'm like, is this too Asian American? Will, like, my audience mm-hmm. even understand what I'm writing about? Um, mm. And, like, sometimes I put Chinese words in my poems and I don't mm. footnote it or explain it. And I'm like, uh, um, I should I footnote it or should I explain it? Like, it's it's constantly a struggle between like how much I give my audience, how much I explain, and how much I leave it up to them to figure it out. Yeah, I think that's especially written. I imagine, huh? Especially in a written form. I, yeah, I exactly. Um, yeah. So I think that's like kind of similar to when you were worried about being too Asian American and people not getting it. Um. But yeah, I think that's just something I, as an artist, need to figure out myself. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good question, mm-hmm. and and yeah, what, I, I wish I could tell you I had an answer. So, <laughs> so it's like an ongoing process. So. Uh huh. Yeah, definitely. And what you said about um, putting the universal like emotions and feelings first before your Asian American identity, I feel like that's true too in poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about a lot about being specific with everything in uh poems um especially emotions too because Mm. emotions are universal everybody feels grief everybody feels love etc etc and everything else you're just adding on to that core Mm -hmm. so yeah i definitely definitely understand um so you talked about kind of like a full reversal of you try like cutting fruit for your parents too um as you're growing yeah. like older um it's kind of like filial piety right it usually goes full circle and comes backward and you're starting to do things for your parents etc have you noticed more and more of those like instances other than cutting fruit yeah, in terms of how the filial piety um, comes back around, I think before it's like it was seeing it as an obligation. Mm, yeah. Like, oh, I have to do this. Oh, it's part of it's part of my culture. There, I'm obli- I'm obligated to give back to my parents. Um, but I think recently, having you know done a lot of inner work in myself, a lot of mm. a lot of my own my own healing, um, you know, dealing dealing with stuff that had, had come up through childhood and all and all that. Mm. it's like I, I feel like it's cleared a lot of space in my in my heart to just to give to give more um not just to my parents like just to people in in general but I think definitely that's where it showed up first um like wow you know I want to you know I I, I, had, I hadn't played Chinese chess with my dad in a long in a long time and um you know this past year going back home I'd always I'd always play with him um or like cooking for my family or cutting fruit for my for my family and that I think to me is like way more, way more gratifying mm. um, being like, this is my choice. Uh, I didn't have to be, I didn't have to be doing this, um, but I am. Mm. Maybe that's a very American, American sentiment, but no. I'm, still, I'm still the individual. I'm still yeah. making my own choice. Uh, no. maybe, that, maybe that's the American part of me coming in. But you know, when I, when I am doing it, it feels like, wow, like I, I'm so grateful for my parents. Mm-hmm. They've, they've given me, they've given me so much. And I'm not, I'm not doing this as like a, oh my God, I owe them so much. Like I'm trying to get back even with them. It's like, no, it's a, it's a, it's abundant. Um, 
the love is love is over overflowing there's there's more than enough it's not love isn't a zero-sum game mm-hmm. um i can i can keep i can keep giving um yeah not to say my relationship with my parents is like suddenly perfect but you know it's definitely like um i'm happy with, with how it's progressed since, mm-hmm. like since i've graduated from college and stepped into the adulting world uh fully Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you uh, transition from like I have to do this to I want to do this, and I think that is very powerful. I also am feeling sort of the same way. The right. other, not the other day, but like um, not even recently. <laughs> I think it was uh-huh. last year that um, my mom was like starting to get a cold uh, and. Mm-hmm. I found myself being the one going to the store and getting medicine for her. Mm. And I had written a poem before about her giving medicine to me when I was younger. So that kind of came full circle too. And I'm just like noticing so many more instances where I have to take care of my mom instead of her taking care of me. Um, Which is like also a sign of them aging. And it's like really sad for me like deeply sad for me um, watching them age because when I was young I I don't know they were like superheroes to me Mm -hmm. and didn't change at all and then all of a sudden with a blink of an eye I can see my mom starting to get wrinkles and I'm like what (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah Uh uh-huh so um uh, yeah i was gonna ask did you see um your parents love language change at all as they were aging or um were they like different when they were when you were younger versus like when you're um, an adult now yeah it's funny i was um just talking to my little brother about this um on the way back down from from the bay where they where they live and i think something i really admire about my parents is that they really are lifelong learners that's something they have, they've always preached to me, but uh, they really do apply that um, to them to themselves. So, um, yeah, I see them. You know, where we're growing up, it might have been less less like "I love you" and like hugs and stuff, and more sliced fruit or mm-hmm. you know, cleaning after the cleaning after the house. You know, getting just making it happen so the family could 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 exist. Um, but I I see them definitely now recently you know being more verbal like um last time or two times ago when i went home um sitting down with my dad before like i was gonna perform he put his arm around me he was like hey i'm really glad you came you came back you know oh. it's, it's really good it's really good to, it's, it's good to see you oh my god um, yeah so i've definitely seen a trend transition in that where it's, it's able to have become more more verbal and more um to me, maybe as an American kid, like, okay, it's more, it's more obvious, uh-huh. it's more obvious now. Um, yeah, I remember when I started kind of my own, you know, personal development healing journey a year and a half ago, um, I started saying, I love you to my dad. And I think it took, a, it took a good, like, it took months, it took months for him to like say it back. I said, that, I said I'd say it over the phone, I'd say it in person. And then there was once he was dropping me off at the airport um, and I said, I love you. I love you, dad. You know, see you soon. He was like, "Oh, I love you. I love you too." Oh, that's like, so cute. Oh my god, it was like, like yes, like yes, like, I did it. You know, it's not like I've converted American, you. Like, yeah, it was like an Asian American like achievement. Like I deserve some sort of plaque or 
or badge for that, especially as an Asian man, um, I think. Mm. Like a, you know, Was it really hard movie. for you yourself to start saying I love you to him? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, I think, I think because, you know, growing up, he's busy, busy working and, you know, he wasn't like the kind of dad where I like, oh, I'm going to tell you everything, my relationship problems, anything. <laughs> so not like, so like kind of a little, a little disconnected, a little disconnected in a way on, on a personal level, um, even though I did understand like, yeah, he's, he's making a lot of sacrifices, he's putting a lot of time in, you know, for this, for this family, but we were just never, um, we're just never on, on that, on that level. So I think um, now it's like, whoa, like I've, I've seen him as, I've seen our relationship is just like inherently disconnected. But I think what has been shifting in me for the past few years is like, you know, it's two sides of the same coin. Like I gotta, I gotta meet him in the middle. You know, I realized like I stopped playing golf with him. You know, I stopped playing like Chinese chess with him. Um, so of course it's like, we're not connecting on things that we're mutually interested in. And then at least recently, you know, playing Chinese chess together, um, it's been really, it's been really nice. And I finally, I finally can like beat him in chess. Hey. Where, like growing up, he was, he was a superhero, you know, like, like I would take three of his pieces off the board before we even started playing uh-huh. because he was that much better than me. Like, uh-huh. um, but now it's like, you know, we, I, he doesn't need to let me any pieces and I still, I'm still able to beat him. And it's like, it's like, whoa, it's like, maybe that's another, that's, that's, that's a symbol for like, wow, like I do see him as human. Mm-hmm. Whereas before it's like, oh my God, he's my dad. He's just like amazing at everything. And I could, I could never touch it. And now it's like, whoa, okay, he's human. What do I do with this? <laughs> what do I do with this, this knowledge, this new, this new, um, this new, this new fact, but yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, just didn't really grow up seeing, um, especially Chinese guys having like super close relationships with their dads, like mm. myself, myself included. So I think it kind of became normalized, you know, and it was only like maybe in this past like two years, I've started thinking about, huh, like what kind of relationship do I want with my mm-hmm. dad? What kind of relationship do I want my parents mm-hmm. um, with, with, my, with my brother? And it's funny because like at the time I'd write these songs, you know, telling my mom like, oh I appreciate you so much like, like, <laughs> a love letter it's a love letter to my mom basically um but then sometimes I wouldn't I wouldn't be I wouldn't show up like that um mm-hmm. would be spending time together so for me it was a big you know like you know I'm singing about things in a certain way um how how can I you know live or be present in such a way that it, it it's consistent with how I am or what I talk about in, in my songs and it's not it's not always perfect but yeah, it's been a big awareness for me. So like, how do I want to be with my parents? Um, for a lot of these intergenerational things that are passed on, like, you know, my grandpa probably wasn't super like chummy with my dad, you know, yep. saying like, I love you. It's like straight up like chi- two Chinese dudes, you know, <laughs> uh, with like no Western influence. So uh-huh. yeah, getting, I think, seeing the opportunity to rewrite a lot of these intergenerational and cultural things um, without erasing like the authenticity of the culture, but you know, creating intimacy and and vulnerability within that is like a really has been a really gratifying experience. Mm, yeah, I I think it's the usual um, in Asian families to like uh, not be verbal or even like physical about their love. Um, mm-hmm. What I think about um, 
Asian and Asian Americans like love language is like I don't know if you know like the love language quiz um, yeah but it's like acts of service basically <laughs> it's mm, like oh, big time it was just literally just acts of service it's like um <laughs> like <laughs> they do everything in the house for you like laundry cook etc yeah. your, your sheets um and then if you guys argue like fruit just shows up at your door <laughs> um That's instead like of an piece, apology <laughs> yeah exactly um but yeah and i think it's like really respectable uh for you to try to normalize verbal and even physical acts of love and i think it's important because we as as asian americans who grew up with so much western media that's like touting like that touts like verbal and physical love Mm -hmm. that we don't see at our homes is confusing (laughs) for us um um so for you to normalize it i think it's very important um but i think it's also important though for asian americans to also understand our parents um love language as well i think that's interesting in like western media too it's almost like the opposite Mm -hmm. it's like a lot about the verbal and the the physical and much less so about the acts of service or like you know the show the showing up Mm -hmm. um just interesting just interesting seeing the differences So before I wrap up, um, I wanted to know how you and your family are coping or were coping during lockdown, mm-hmm. quarantine, all this mess. Um, yeah. And how are you continuing to like be creative and create during this time? Yeah, my family is, you know, we're good. Staying, staying good. indoors, <laughs> staying out of, out of the fires. Um, and it's, it, I'm, you know, I'm very fortunate that I live pretty close to them. Um, in the Bay Area, I'm able to just drive, pick my little brother up from downtown, and then just go up and visit them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll have plans to see them for Thanksgiving and Christmas as well. Oh, so luckily, cute. yeah. So luckily, COVID hasn't super affected at least how my family's been able to connect, which I know is not true of, of many families right now. So just being really grateful for that. Um, man, how am I staying creative um, during? during <laughs> during quarantine um so try not to overthink the the process um because it's easy for me i think at this point to be like okay what is this song going to do for me you know for my career um but really just you know picking up picking up the pen starting starting to sing starting to put string words together as i'm sure you can you can you can relate to um yeah just getting just getting things down on on paper and yeah, kind of regrounding myself in the joy of, of creation and experiencing it as the medicine that it is before before it becomes like, oh, something I put out into the world. Um, letting myself experience the purity of what I create before I like give it, make it, give the feedback and try to make it, try to make it perfect in the second and third draft, um, everything. So just um, slowing down has actually been really supporting my, my creative process. We're pre-COVID, actually. Um, I'm also in a hip-hop group. Um, we're called Night Market, and I rap in Chinese and English. I've heard about Night Market. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, we're actually supposed to go on our first national tour in, in May. And, yeah, and that was before COVID just, like, wrecked everything. Yeah. Um, well, I Wait, was so... in this total, like, 
Yeah. Are you guys like unsure yet if it's going to happen still or? Well, we were, we're basically waiting for COVID to be, to really wrap up before mm-hmm. we try to plan another, another tour. Cause um, luckily, yeah, it was just, it was like we're putting a full year of work into this single-mindedly into this project mm-hmm. and, you know, like the music's ready, just like the tour, tour itself. Um, but yeah, I think I was going super hard, almost like burning myself to the ground and trying to get that project out. Um, so in a weird way, COVID was a, was a blessing to, mm. to slow down and really think about like what's important to me mm. um, art-wise. Like why do, why, do I, why do I create? I might invite you guys to my school <laughs> for a no, performance or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, we'd love to come. But um, all this, all this mess is over. <laughs> yeah, once this is over. <laughs> yeah, I I agree with you a lot that um, COVID is horrible in many ways. But one way that it's helping me too is that I'm kind of forced to slow down, even though it seems like I have so many things to do every day still. But yeah. <laughs> I'm forced to slow down in a way. But um. In the beginning of quarantine, I was not writing, and mm. I, I was writing, but like all my writing was like really bad. Um, it was not productive at all. Mm. Um, I think it was just because I hadn't processed things yet, and sure. like a few weeks in, I started writing again, and those were like pretty good. But then now <laughs> we've mm. been in quarantine for so long that I'm like. Yeah, it's just life now. Yeah, it's I don't know. My my writing's just like a roller coaster right now and not really good. <laughs> but I I'm learning it. and I wanna totally I wanna totally validate your experience for like not wanting to write or not really writing at the start of quarantine because mm-hmm. I was absolutely the same, just like it felt like everything yeah. just went downhill and definitely yeah, kind of yeah. Positive things. Like I just like wanted to do things that were fun. <laughs> well, I mean, I, like yeah. writing is fun, but once you honestly treat something as a career, <laughs> it becomes yeah. kind of tiring. Um, yeah, but I, it's I just, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying that it's definitely a process to you know continually find joy in the process. So mm-hmm. I'm also glad that you gave yourself space to just find joy in things. Yeah, <laughs> and, and watch, I'm trying to enjoying things. <laughs> try to like forgive myself for not writing good things too Mm. like you don't have to like write the perfect thing every time um yeah i keep reminding myself that yeah that's awesome i actually i I started being a like a coach for creatives Mm. um and i'm working with a lot of especially asian american creatives and that's a big theme that comes up yeah yep not being not being so hard on ourselves yeah no yeah so yeah, I love I love forgiveness as a as a as a theme. I think it's really important in like the Asian American community's relationship with our art and our creative process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much for this conversation. I think it was very yeah. healing during this time. <laughs> yeah, um, especially during this time. Do you have anything you want to plug to the audience and where they can find you and your music? Yeah, you can find me uh, at Leo Xia Music. That's um, you can search Leo Sia on Spotify as well. That's where you can find my my singer songwriter stuff, my solo stuff. Um, if you're feeling like you want to turn up someday, <laughs> have Ooh. high energy stuff, 
uh, you can find at Night Market, N-I-T-E-M-R-K-T. That's that's our like high energy trap and hip hop hip hop group. So hey. whatever you need, we got you. <laughs> I thank you so much again for coming on. <laughs>